This is a GRDC podcast. G'day, I'm Megan Woodward. Weeds. They're the forever problem that every grower battles in one way or another on any given day, week or month of the year. Now, for the first time ever, a national survey on herbicide resistance has been conducted as part of a GRDC investment. And the results are in, and there's some good news to share. I caught up with herbicide resistance researcher Dr Peter Pusalis from the University of Adelaide, who led the survey work that looked at the resistance status of annual ryegrass to pre-emergent herbicides. The random weed survey this time around was very different to previous times because it was a coordinated approach with all of the main um, herbicide resistance teams across uh, Australia. The lead agency was Charleston University um, and that was uh, run through John Broster and it involved WA and that was through ARI, Adelaide Uni, so that's myself. We surveyed South Australia, Tasmania and Victoria. Queensland and northern New South Wales were surveyed from the Queensland Department of Ag and Fisheries and that was run by Michael Witterick and also the University of Sydney through uh, Michael Walsh. Each group surveyed their region for kiwis just prior to harvest and the difference there was this time all the ryegrass was sent to me for testing. The WA team was responsible for testing all the wild radish, barley grass and brome. The New South Wales team responsible for testing all the South Thistle and wild oats and the Queensland team responsible for testing all the summer weeds. So very different to previous surveys. You've led beautifully into my next question I had for you, Peter. There was a uniform approach this time around to sampling and the analysis taken by all of the universities and research organisations that were involved. How has that helped or how did it help to enhance and refine the understanding of herbicide resistance? So the difference was for us especially in SA, Vic and Tassie was that previously when we were doing surveys is we were choosing paddocks completely at random. So basically every choosing, depending on the area, either every 5 kilometres or 10 kilometres, going through the, the gate or over the fence, uh, collecting weeds and then moving on in the next period. So it was completely random. Uh, the WA guys have moved into contacting agronomists and, and, and obtaining farm maps and then they then choose the paddocks at random and so did the other guys in New South Wales and Queensland. And so because of biosecurity and, and changing uh, situations, we did the same as well. So we contacted agronomists and so they provided us with farms that were willing to participate they gave us the entire farm map and then we chose paddocks at random. So we're going now into agronomy paddocks, not because some of the paddocks we chose at random may, may not have been very intensively cropped, whereas now we were going to paddocks that we knew farmers were continuous croppers and so we thought the results might be completely not comparable to previous seasons. But yeah, as we mentioned later on in the podcast, results have been beautiful. They really support what, what we've been finding previously the message will be very clear. To take a step back from a researcher um, academic point of view, how important or difficult is it to undertake a fully coordinated national survey of this kind? Well, we've got good people and so that really helped. Agronomists were very, very willing to help. It was very good to, to firstly have that opportunity to communicate with agronomists 
and obtain those maps. And the, the beauty of it, too, another massive difference um, that I remember is that because we knew which paddocks we were going into, we have now, we will now feed that information back to the agronomists and they will use that information for their farmers for the following years. So I have finished all of the, the pre-emergent testing for all of the nation, across the nation, and those results have already been sent to all of the agronomists last November, well in advance of this year's um, pre-emergent application uh, period. So that's the positive thing is that the farmers that participated gets the information, which is courtesy of the GRDC. Okay, let's get into the the nitty-gritty here, Peter. More than 1,500 paddocks were surveyed across the country as part of this work. The results for the resistance status of annual ryegrass to pre-emergent herbicides from the National Survey completed by you and your team at the Adelaide, uh, University of Adelaide, tell us what was found. What were the results? Well, out of those 1,513 paddocks, um, we found ryegrass in over 1,300 paddocks. So 90% of the paddocks we went into across the nation contained ryegrass. Now, in, in most cases, really, there rarely were there infestations. Often it was pretty challenging to find plants, but there were some paddocks that were quite filthy. But we have to remember that what we're detecting is the presence of resistance in a paddock. The results don't indicate what the frequency is what the and, and this, just the, the incidence of whether it occurs or not. So we may have picked the ryegrass from 0.0001% of the plants that remained. And so 99.9999% were killed with the herbicide and only very few survived. We may, and the test may show that they are all 100% resistant. It doesn't mean the paddock or the ryegrass in the paddock is 100% resistant. It's only based on the survivors. Um, now, when I looked at the results and compared them back to previous years, they are really, really comparable. Um, I must say, as I said earlier, I was very surprised. So what I found, I'll just read off some information here, I just looked down a little bit, was that across the, um, well, if I can go back to previous surveys, um, so that's pre the 2021, and what we had found previously was that 20% of the ryegrass in, in the eastern states was resistant to trofurolin. And what we found in the, the current 2020 survey, this is including WA, is that it's 12%. So it's actually... Um, come down and we're seeing that consistently and that is not a surprising because there are so many more pre-emergent herbicides effective on the market plus all the other tactics that are being involved is that because farmers don't have to rely anymore on pure trophorolin to control ryegrass the levels are slowly going down and, and that is promising it's, it's happening in WA it's happening in SA Vic or all the states so that's really promising to see um, so that, that was the, the biggest difference. And even state by state, I was able to make that, that comparison. Like, for example, previously in South Australia, it was about 50% of the paddocks had trophoral resistance, and this time around it's 38%. So there has been a 12% reduction in that. Even in, in Victoria, there's been a reduction of over 10% of the paddocks. So we expected it, The this, and we, we actually are seeing what we expected. So that's really promising. Um, the other results are, so what we found in, in nationally there was 12%. Um, South Australia, 38% of the paddocks had trophorin resistance. Uh, Victoria, 21% of the paddocks, so one in five paddocks had some level of resistance. 
Uh, New South Wales, no resistance detected at all. WA, 4%, and Tassie, 0 So what we call resistant is in my trials where we obtained a sample which had 20% survival or greater, we called that as a resistant paddock. Where we had 19% or less, that is not included as in this resistant definition. So when I mention these resistant um, data, then that is the, the in our pot trials, anything that has 20% survival or greater, that is a resistant paddock. What do we put down the differences between states to? Is that good management? Is it luck? <laughs> what's, what's the difference there? Explain it to me. So one of the main difference is the pH levels in soil. So in South Australia, a lot of the, the, our cropping area has high pH. And so when trophoridin has been around since I believe the 70s, so it was used for many years. And then in the, in the 80s, along came the sulfonylurea herbicides, so low-grain, glean, ally, and all of a sudden farming became easy for farmers. They just relied on these, forgot about trophoridin, and happy days. The problem was that in South Australia, one application of a sulfonylurea in a high pH soil lasted for three or four years. And so farmers were finding it difficult for rotational crops, broadleaf crops, because back then there was no hemi-tolerant crops, any cleaver crops. So then they realised that they had to back off and go back to trophoridin. So a much longer selection, whereas in, in WA, acid soils, sulfonylureas break down rapidly and so, yeah, a lot more use of uh, sulfonylureas and less use of trophoridin because, yeah, when sulfonylureas are using, I would rather use a sulfonylurea because I know I'm going to get basically 100% control versus trophoridin, which is, you know, not if you get 80%, you're doing pretty okay actually. So it's selection pressure. That's the main reason really. So something that is important to talk a little bit more about here is the difference between random survey and dedicated resistance testing, which we've touched on so far. But tell me a little bit about why and how that needs to be understood when we interpret these results. Yes, yeah, so it's very important. So when we're presenting data information from a commercial testing, then it's very important to indicate that and not to generalise across a state or, or the country, what the resistance levels are, because they, they are grossly um, you know, misrepresented. So it, it's the commercial testing is indicate, is very biased. It's indicating they're from samples that are coming where pro- farmers have mostly had problems to a, a specific herbicide, and so they're wanting to either confirm resistance and test for other herbicides. It's the random weed survey that is the information that you can generalise across a, a region or even within sub-region. So all of this data here, we've now chopped it up into individual um, regions within states. And so when we present to, for example, next week I'm going to the York Peninsula to present to some growers. So I'll show them there the information from the York Peninsula versus the rest of South Australia versus the rest of, of the country. That's the main reason. So commercial testing, um, it's it's great tool, but we can't generalise across states um, with that. Absolutely. And I guess that's the the point of all of this research, right, is to be a benefit to growers. How would you like the results to be used by grain growers to improve their weed management overall? What are some of the key messages when you when you travel next week? What will you be suggesting? The ones that are going to benefit incredibly are the ones that um, we sample their survey, their paddocks, 
So they're going to get the result on that particular paddock. So that'll be um, great information for them. But generally, uh, you know, the other results there are showing that box of gold resistance very low in a few areas, um, mostly extremely low. In some states we didn't detect that at all, such as in um, Tassie. Um, the other states we detected it, it was less than 10%. That usually it was 1% to 2%. And then to the other pre-emergent herbicides that we tested, Secura, Overwatch, Luxamax, Overwatch, I think I said it again, Rustler, um, we didn't detect any resistance at all. So the information to growers there is we've got lots of modes of action, rotate them and keep the resistance levels low. Include your other practices as well, such as your seed um, capture or any other late season techniques you've got. So anything that sneaks through, you can capture some of that, and so that'll keep the resistance levels low. And with the, the testing, the commercial testing or this testing, there are opportunities. When I conduct the post-emergent testing this year, we won't have 100% resistance everywhere. So there are still paddocks out there where post-emergent herbicides will work. And so if you know that, that is power because you know that anything that escapes the pre-emergent uh, tactics, then you've got the option of reducing it with post-emergent result um, herbicides as well. So beyond that, where to next for these results? How can they, they obviously inform better extension messages for each growing region, but how can they be used to underpin further research potentially? Yep. So this year we'll hopefully we'll complete all, all of the resistance testing. So all the post-emergent ones will, will be done. Um, the information Another important part of the information I've got here is to um, raise awareness about shifts in glyphosate resistance, shifts in paraquat resistance. Are we detecting any paraquat resistance across the nation? Because if we detect a little bit, then, then that's a early warning because a lot of growers um, have got glyphosate resistance and so they are switching to paraquat. If they're relying heavily on paraquat, well, that could be a danger point. So um, raise awareness there. Check for resistance to newer mode of action herbicides. So if they're detecting a little bit of resistance there, then then what's the next move? They have to the agronomist has to think about that. So there are a lot of these. Another really important point that probably isn't well advertised is that this information is also available to the chemical companies industry. And they are using this information to promote or go back to their R and D. Um, even if they're in an international company. And so they're focusing on herbicide control for Australia as well as the rest of the world. So, And that is quite significant because a lot of the herbicides have been registered in Australia before they were registered anywhere else in the world. That's incredible to hear. If we caught up again in 10 years' time, Peter, what do you hope you could tell me about where this work has extended to and had achieved? I, I believe that what, we, what we're seeing generally is that because of the, the technology out there, not only herbicides, the other non, non-herbicide techniques that are present and that are coming, and also what I hear on the grapevine about the new pre-emergent and post-emergent herbicides coming into the, the system, that because we're aware of the diversity of ryegrass and wild radish, some of the other weeds, that farmers will be able to continue farming successfully and keeping weeds just at bay so they can grow some crops and yeah sometimes there'll be a few headaches 
but yeah, it's, it won't be blowouts because we are keeping on top of it. That was Dr Peter Basalis from the University of Adelaide sharing his insights into weed management in the future and delivering some good news that according to the first ever National Weed Survey, resistance to pre-emergence herbicides in ryegrass is low. This is a GRDC podcast. I'm Megan Woodward. Thanks for listening. Thank you.